Hello and welcome to another edition of the From the Booth podcast. I'm Evan Eich and he's Cody Clark. Cody, it is the first show in the month of August. It is August 9th, 2020. Uh, so what have you been up to since the last time that we got to talk a couple weeks ago? Oh man, just trying to trying to get ready for for students coming in to to start the fall semester, uh, and trying to to see what the fall might look like uh, in terms of all this coronavirus stuff. So lots of lots of planning and getting things ready for students to get on campus, and a lot of uh, watching NBA basketball. Speaking of NBA basketball, we had the game of the bubble last night. The Milwaukee Bucks and the the yeah the Milwaukee Bucks and the Dallas Mavericks. Luca versus Giannis. The game went to overtime, and Luka Doncic finished the game with thirty six points, fourteen rebounds, nineteen assists. Giannis had thirty four points, thirteen rebounds, and then that that last assist by Luca with one minute left in overtime. As uh, as Bill as Bill Rafferty would say, the onions on him to make that pass. Yeah, that between the legs bounce pass to, uh, uh, I think it was Kleba streaking down the lane. But that was uh, a heck of a, a heck of a bounce pass. His his court vision is so impressive. As you mentioned, nineteen assists last night. What this guy is doing is 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 really ridiculous stuff. I mean, thirty six fourteen and 19 shot 50 percent from the floor 90 percent from the line he was nine of ten he was only three for nine from three but very efficient night he only turned the ball over twice um on 19 assists i mean what this kid is doing in his second year in the league is really really impressive and it gave us a glimpse into what could be the nba's next rivalry well we could see potentially Luca versus Giannis, assuming Giannis stays in Milwaukee, that's a whole other story. That could be the NBA's most next intense rivalry within the next four to five years. Like, just imagine Luca versus Giannis in the 2022 finals, the 2024 finals, assuming that these guys stay on the trajectories that they're both on. Yeah, and I mean, there's no reason to think they wouldn't be. The only thing, as you mentioned, would be does Giannis stay in Milwaukee? And I think that's a, a discussion that, that we can have at another time. But yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, both of those guys, and, you know, they're just, they're such, uh, you know, they're such anomalies in terms of the way they play. Giannis being uh, so absurdly athletic and so gifted getting to the basket uh, at his size at 6'11, you know, 200. And, 35, 40 pounds, whatever he is. And then you have Luka Doncic, who's not, you know, the most overpowering physical uh, athletic guy at, you know, 6'7", 230, but a very, very athletic player, uh, averaging freaking like uh, almost a triple-double. I think it's 29-9 and nine assists as well. But he's a player that can shoot it well. He shoots it well from the free throw line. He has, uh, as we mentioned, impeccable court vision, as you saw last night on a, a, a few of those passes. He had the, the bounce pass for the dunk uh, to Kleba streaking down the lane with a minute left in overtime. He had the pass where he drove all the way to the teeth of the defense and kicked it out uh, top of the key with three guys draped on him, delivered a perfect pass to the top of the key for a, a three-pointer. So, you know, two guys that, that approach the game differently, that play the game differently, but playing at, at very, very high levels. And Luca, obviously, in just his second year, Giannis, we we've seen what uh, what he can do, and he's still only 25 years old. Both of these guys have very, very, very long futures uh, left in the NBA. Luca appears to be locked into Dallas. I wouldn't be so, so sure about you know what ends up happening to Giannis, but we'll see. But right now, just in enjoying the fact that those two guys are on their respective teams and getting to watch what they do on a night in and night out basis because both of them have become must-see television. Uh, a couple things about that game. One, before we get into like the other Mavericks that also really stepped stepped up and helped win that game against Milwaukee, I did not know that Michael Kidd Gilstrist was on Dallas. I didn't know he was on the team. He played four minutes. He, play, <laughs> he, play, he played four minutes last night. He Michael Gidd Kilgrist will always be known as the guy that was picked after Anthony Davis. 
I, I did not know he was on the Dallas Mavericks, so I learned that the other day. Also, Dorian Finney-Smith, 10 of 19 shooting, 27 points, 11 rebounds. Porzingis, yeah, he didn't shoot the he didn't shoot all that great. Nine for four, nine for twenty four from the field, but he made all seven free throws. He had eleven rebounds along with twenty six points. What are your thoughts on the NBA bubble? Because we're seeing teams scoring routinely in the high one twenties, the one thirties. I have a theory as to why, and uh, I want to I want to hear your thoughts first. Uh, in terms of the the scoring numbers. I would think it's guys trying to get, you know, tough to say, but I would think some of it plays into the fact that guys are trying to continue to get in shape. Uh, They're trying to, you know, I can imagine that there's not that the guys aren't trying because they are, but at the same time, as you come off of the layoff that those guys had, and then you have, you know, five, six, seven, eight games to ramp up to the playoffs especially for the teams that have already locked up a place. You know, there's no reason you need to go out and, and, and kill yourself after you've gone four months off and then you got a couple of weeks of practice before you got going again. Definitely something you want to ease into, you want to get going. So, you know, maybe that's some of it. Uh, but, I, you know, it is it is interesting because you're seeing a lot, of, a lot of scoring for sure. Now, both of the games last night, uh, Dallas Milwaukee. It was one thirty six, one thirty two, and it was an overtime game. It would have been about one seventeen to you know one fifteen or something like that. And that Utah Denver game was one thirty four to one thirty two, but that was a double overtime game. So, you know, scoring definitely seems to be up. You got a lot of teams uh, putting putting the the ball in the basket, and I think it's more some of the defense than the offense, because as you mentioned, some of the shooting numbers haven't necessarily been there, but the teams are, are getting to the free throw line and teams are, are putting up points. No doubt about it. So my theory as to, it may not explain the entire things about why we're seeing scores in the one third, the high one thirties, one twenties, but normally like you don't you're seeing guys now in the bubble just going full bore into the basket just going full steam ahead normally you don't see them doing that because underneath the basket you have fans you have rows of photographers you've got media people and you don't want to and you don't have to worry about driving into the lane and crashing into the the row of photographers you don't have to worry about diving for a loose ball and ending up in some guy's lap in the third row because there's nobody there. It's just them. It's just wide open spaces for the sideline and under the basket. So they don't have to worry about, oh, well, if I go too fast, I'm going to crash into somebody, hurt them and hurt myself. I can just go, I can just go full steam ahead into the basket. Like we're playing in an empty gym. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that could definitely, uh, that could definitely explain, uh, you know, some of, some of what we're seeing, but you know, Hey, I don't care what the reason is. Uh, we're getting a lot of scoring. We're getting a lot of good games, and uh, I'll I'll sign on for that, no doubt. And so far in the bubble, the Denver Nuggets have had two young breakout stars, Michael Porter Jr. and Bull Bull, are both looking really impressive. And then for the Indiana Pacers, what is going on with T.J. Warren, man? Hey, he he's always he's always been a bucket. But if you look at what he's done in the bubble, he he went out and dropped 39 yesterday on the Lakers, one of the best teams in the West. If you look at what he's done in the bubble, uh, 39, five rebounds, 16, 11 rebounds, 32, 34 and 11 boards, scored 53 in that game against the Sixers. I mean, on 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 like 20 of 29 shooting or something ridiculous, close to 70 percent. Uh, from the field man he's always been able to score but you know I, something to prove for him with you know Oladipo not being the healthiest as Sabonis has been out as well but something's gotten into him and goodness gracious he has been scoring at will against everybody uh, just just on a different planet man leading the bubble with almost 35 points a game 34.8 which is I mean just just really hard to believe before this, he'd spent the last few years in Phoenix. He averaged, in, 20, in 2016, 2017, he averaged 14 points a game, 
2017-2018, he played 65 games, averaged about 19 a game. Last year, he played in 43 games, started 36, averaged 18 a game. Before the season started, he was traded to Indiana for cash considerations. He wasn't even traded for a player. The Suns just gave him away to Indiana, and now he has been, so far, the breakout star of the NBA bubble. And as Victor Oladipo said, he is on another planet right now. Well, and and not to mention, Evan, since they got into the bubble, Indiana has won four of five, and they've now moved themselves into a tie for fourth, which, you know, in a normal year would be that... uh, would be that home court advantage, but they've moved themselves into a tie for the fourth seed, and they have a head-to-head coming up against Miami. So, you know, not only is Warren, you know, putting up numbers, but, you know, with a shorthanded team, he has carried this Pacers squad to a, you know, a, a tie for that fourth seed and a chance to jump out in front. Not going to catch Boston for three, just not enough games left but very, very good chance to jump into that top four. Uh, And, you know, a a Miami Heat-Indiana Pacers opening round would be very, very intriguing stuff for sure. Speaking of standings, let's look at the standings. Uh, We'll start out west. The Los Angeles Lakers have locked up the number one seed in the west, Uh, and there is a pretty tight race both behind Los Angeles at number two and that race for the eight seed has gotten really interesting because Portland r- came into the bubble, ripped off a few wins, r- ripped off a few wins out the gate. Memphis struggled, but they currently have a one-game lead. Actually, they currently have a one-and-a-half game lead over Portland. And Phoenix is not that far behind him with 31 wins. Uh, San Antonio and New Orleans, Sacramento, they're pretty much out of it Like for the bottom of the eight seed. That eight-seed race, when we brought in pretty much the entire Western Conference except for a couple teams, there was concern of like, okay, well, do we really need that many teams for an eight-game play-in? Do we really need this many teams? And the way teams like Portland have played have shown that, yeah, we kind of did. Like In, in, in a weird way, we kind of did need to see if Portland, if the Portlands and the Phoenixes of the world could claw back could claw back into it and take the spot away from memphis yeah no doubt memphis eighth right now 33 and 37 and then as you mentioned portland one and a half back uh phoenix and san antonio just a half game back of portland for nine and then two games back of memphis for eight but yeah and memphis you know a tough game today coming up against toronto portland has a tough game against philadelphia coming up today so lots of games you know still on the docket that are you know, going to play into consideration for where these teams are seated. You know, these are great, great games for this Memphis Grizzlies team, which is very, very young and now missing Jaron Jackson. But anytime you're able to get these young guys in these high pressure games, I think it's such benefit, so beneficial to, to their growth and development. But how about Oklahoma City? They just continue to do their thing. Uh, They are the fifth seed, just one game out of the four seed in the West. And, you know, Chris Paul has this team uh, motoring right along. You know, they fell to the Grizzlies the other night, but uh, beat the Lakers, uh, lost the Nuggets, beat the Jazz. So it's um, this Oklahoma City team has been one to watch as well. And who would have thought that with the departure of Russell Westbrook, this team would be 42 and 26 and uh, second in the division only to the Nuggets. And it's just three games behind the Nuggets with with, uh, the the young, young team that Oklahoma City has. That has been a fun team to watch as well. Before before the season got suspended, we talked about how the over-under win total for the Oklahoma City Thunder was around like 30, 31 games. Like, they kind of projected this team to just sort of be on, like, a rebuild trajectory with them trading away guys like Paul George and Russell Westbrook. We looked, before the season started, we looked at Oklahoma, I can't talk. We looked at Oklahoma City and thought, okay, no no Westbrook, no Paul George. This team's probably going to 
look ahead from until like 2020 2022 2023 this looks like a, a rebuild and they're right now a game out of the four spot behind the Houston Rockets and James Hart with James Harden and it's it, it really makes you just sort of sit back and realize just how deep the Western Conference actually is because yes you can look at the two LA teams and say that they're above everybody else but that second tier of teams like the Nuggets the Rockets the Thunder you can make the argument for you know Utah that second tier of the West is not overly far behind the two L.A.s. No, not at all. And I mean, you look down and you look at Dallas is forty-two and thirty. They're the seven seed. You know, they they're they'd be fighting for the they'd be fighting for the fifth seed, the fourth seed, if they were in the Eastern Conference. So you know, that's how that's how deep this Western Conference is. And as you mentioned, you know. You've got the the Milwaukee's with 55 wins at the top of the East, and then Toronto can get there with a win today and get to 50. But then you look at it, and everyone in the West is jumbled up. Everyone has, has proven that they can beat each other, and I think we're in for a very, very exciting playoffs on both sides, but most definitely in the Western Conference. In the Eastern Conference, uh, Washington pretty much needed to run the table and have like Orlando lose all their games. Washington's already been knocked out, so they have nothing left to play for in terms of in terms of playoff seeding. They've already been officially eliminated. Looking at the eastern side of the bracket, the defending champion Toronto Raptors are sitting comfortably at the number two seed. The Philadelphia 76ers are the sixth seed. Ben Simmons knee injury, he's going to be out for some time. If Philadelphia does not have a deep run, and we and we know that Brett Brown is on the hot seat in this, and if Philadelphia doesn't have a deep run, that might be the end for Brown. Do you think that it should be the end for Brett Brown if Philadelphia doesn't advance past like the first or second round in the eastern side of the bracket? I mean, I think it will be. I wouldn't necessarily be a fan of that. I think Brett Brown is is a very good coach, but it's definitely something that I think you're going to get pressure for and see just because you have, you know, guys like uh, Ben Simmons, guys like Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris. You brought in Al Horford. You know, you're able to bring in Josh Richardson. So I definitely do think that there will be a lot of pressure and that would ultimately probably end up happening but, you know, I think Brett Brown has done a, a really, really nice job. And, you know, for me, it's something to where, you know, I, I think you look at exploring, you know, Simmons and Embiid and, you know, which of those two guys do you want to build around? And, you know, you could potentially get something back if you were to trade one of those guys. Because if you look at Philadelphia, you know, outside of, you know, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, or Al Horford's, you know, Al Horford is 34. Tobias Harris is not old, but he's 28. Ben Simmons, just 24. Joel Embiid, just 26. Outside of that, you know, Josh Richardson, a really nice young player at 26 years old. But the rest of that roster outside of, you know, maybe your your Zaire Smiths and your, your Matisse Thibels, maybe Shake Milton, guys like that, you know, pretty much the whole rest of the roster you're not looking at being long-term guys so maybe there's an exploration of you know okay hey do we want to continue to work around Simmons and Embiid here do we want to see what we can get for one of those guys while we still have Richardson while we still have Tobias Harris I think there's a lot of question marks in Philly and a lot of different places that they can go I think they very well could take no action as well and just continue to run it back but you know, with the lack of postseason success that we've seen out of them and, you know, the way that they have these players in their prime, I think they've got to take uh, advantage of that somehow. And so we'll see what the we'll see what the front office deems is a is a good move moving forward. But them losing Simmons, losing an all NBA defensive player like that, you know, that's going to be very, very tough for them in the playoffs. Still a good team, but without Simmons, I don't see them being able to challenge uh, Giannis or being able to challenge the Raptors at the top of the East uh, because of that Simmons injury. They play 
at 5.30 tonight against Portland. And if the Eastern Conference standings stay the way that they are right now, they, they, open, they will open up against Boston in the first round, which might not be a great matchup for Philadelphia. I mean, I could see how last year you could have maybe talked yourself into, well, if the Kawhi Leonard shot doesn't go in, maybe we win in overtime, maybe we beat Milwaukee. That's presuming a lot of things, but... You could maybe talk yourself into we were a couple bounces away from the Eastern Conference Finals. And since then, remember, during the regular season, they were unstoppable at home. Meanwhile, on the road, like they just, they were one of the worst road teams in the NBA. They were 31 and 2 at home and 11 and 25 on the road. If you're going to have deep playoff runs, you can't be well below 500 on the road. And speaking of teams that haven't really lived up to their potential, you could make the argument that this entire Disney bubble thing was set up to get Zion into the playoffs, but the New Orleans Pelicans did, I think, the unpopular but necessary thing of we're not going to risk Zion getting injured to what? push for the eight seed and get and lose to the, to the Lakers. Zion is a lot more important to the city of new Orleans than to try and push for the playoffs during the, during the bubble. It's not popular, but I think they're making the right decision by doing what they're doing with Zion. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And and I do think they've made a good call, but you know, even then they've, they've played well enough to just be, you know, two and a half games behind Memphis uh, for that uh, for that eight seed, you, and we were talking about the West. I mean, even Sacramento with tw- you know at twenty nine and forty, you know if you're talking about a you're talking about the rest of the regular season, you're only three and a half games back of that eight seed this deep into the season. If you're Sacramento, you know everyone just jumbled together, and I do think that you know New Orleans has has played it smart with Zion. You definitely don't want to chance that. But at the same time, you know, you want to try to make the playoffs and you want to try to get, you know, those younger guys on your team, uh, you know, to to play with that sense of urgency late in the game and that sort of stuff. So, you know, I, I do think they, they've they've gone about it well just because the the type of player that Zion is and the injury that he had, you know, you want to make sure he's very, very healthy. But again, you know, you definitely want to balance that also by, you know, pushing and playing as hard as you can late in the year to try and get yourself into the playoffs because you definitely, uh, you definitely want that experience as well. And we've seen that just going to the playoffs is not enough, like for for a few teams. But Alvin Gentry, I I don't think he should lose his job over this because this is just year one of the Zion experiment, and you're going to want to create as much stability around him long-term. And part of that stability is going to be when Brandon Ingram is scheduled to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of this season. Priority number one has to be bringing him back. I mean, you have to make a decision about the future of Drew Holiday. You could, you know, he has a player option in 2021. You know, there are, there are a lot of looming decisions for New Orleans that are going to affect the future of this team and whether that means bringing bringing the the gang back together for in 2020 2021 and trying again now that we have a healthy Zion for presumably the entire season or does that mean letting a few guys go and then trying to reload with a different core yeah you're definitely facing some of those interesting decisions but yeah you know Brandon Ingram at 22 you'd think he's part of the long-term future, you know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Lonzo Ball, those guys are in, you know, in their very, very early 20s. Josh Hart in his mid-20s seems like he's there, Uh, you know, Zion at 20 years old. So, you know, they have a lot of of young core players. J.J. Redick, older player, as you mentioned, Ingram, his contract situation. I think you pretty much put this exact or mostly exact iteration of the Pelicans back together and, you know, see what they can do with a full fresh season of Zion, because, you know, as close as they are right now, 
you'd have to think they would be squarely in that uh, top eight if he were able to to go the whole season. So, you know, I think for the most part, the iteration that they have, uh, Drew Holiday, J.J. Redick giving you some of that experience, you know, Derek Favors as well. I like what the Pelicans have done here, and I do think that, you know, if you could get a full healthy season of Zion, they would squarely be in the uh, Western Conference playoffs. Well, it seems fairly unlikely, at least as as things stands right now, that they're going to get the eight seed because they're they're what two and a half games back with only like three or four to go. They're going to need quite a bit to break right if they're going to get in. Yeah, they they would need a little bit of help, you know, the way that some of these other teams are playing, but you you never know. Yeah, look, moving on to Major League Baseball, we have seen coronavirus outbreaks in with the Miami Marlins that also affected the Philadelphia Phillies that affected the Yankees and now the newest team to be hit by the novel coronavirus the St. Louis Cardinals had their series against the Chicago Cubs postponed and there are some teams that have played 15 games so far and then there are going to be other teams that are going to try to rush towards the end to make up the games that they've missed. Cody, there were legitimate concerns after about the first week of baseball about whether or not they should just shut it down and declare the season a loss. Now that we're seeing a, f- a few other teams being affected by positive tests, first in Miami, now in St. Louis... Are we sure this baseball season's going to finish? Because it seems like they're just going to chug along and see if they can get to the finish line. Yeah, it sure seems with the way they've gone about it, you know, being able to reschedule the games. It, it does seem like they are going to chug along. I think you can do that in baseball when you have the, the player pool sizes that you do and the ability to get guys in there, you know, from alternate sites and that sort of thing. But, yeah, they – they do seem bound and determined to push through and, and play this season. You know, we've, you know, four, 12, 13, 14 games in, you know, we've got a long way to go, you know, to get to 60 games, but we'll, you know, we'll kind of see where that stands. And as this moves along, I think they've, they've mostly done a good job, but as you mentioned, you know, some of those isolated incidents, some of those, uh, you know, the Cardinals, the Marlins, you know, those things are going to keep popping up. You're definitely going to continue to see that. But, you know, they they do seem like they're ready to, to push through and, you know, try to get to the end of this year. It's going to be very intriguing to watch because we've already seen, you know, some some different uh, different scenarios lead to some of these positive tests. You know, the NBA has done it right with a bubble. You know, I think it's it's much more difficult uh, for Major League Baseball and for the NFL to do a bubble, but we've seen that the bubble is the safest way to, you know, go about the season and not have the interruptions that we've seen from Major League Baseball. So I'm I'm intrigued watching the rest of the year because I think this is going to be the normal in baseball because, you know, you don't have that bubble environment with teams traveling to, to, you know, from city to city and such. Even if it's just an abbreviated 60-game season, you're definitely, definitely going to see this stuff continue to happen. The St. Louis Cardinals have been the most affected team in baseball so far. While teams like Kansas City, has played, Kansas City, the Royals have played 16 games. The Yankees, the Twins, they've played 15 games. St. Louis has played five. They have two wins, three losses, and St. Louis has been hit the hardest because of all of the cancellations between, well, their own positive tests, their own positive tests, and they also had their games between Miami and Philadelphia. They had those games put on the shelf when those teams had to sit out when they had tested positive. I I don't know how this is going to finish because you're seeing teams like St. Louis have only played five games while other teams have already played 15, 16 games. Like, they're going to have to make up a lot of games at the end of the year, especially for St. Louis. Yeah, they're going to have a ton. You know, you look at the Marlins have played nine. You know, they're a little bit closer. But St. Louis, as you mentioned, definitely hit the hardest. And there's going to be some scheduling acrobatics because, like you mentioned, you know, 16 games, uh, you know, I think the max that we're at right now 
uh, and, and, you know, a handful of teams have played those 16 games, but pretty much everyone has, you know, had, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, especially in that, uh, especially in that central and that, and that East in the national league, you know, they've pretty much all been affected by it at some point. So, you know, how, how does that play out? You know, Miami, when you look at the NL East, that's an interesting division as well. Miami playing nine games. The Braves have played 15, but the Phillies have only played eight, and, and the Nationals have played 11. Then you look at the Cardinals have played five. So, yeah, it's uh, I, I, this is going to be the normal, and I think you're going to see MLB trudge on, and you're going to see tons of different uh, prospects and young players getting chances to make their major league debuts and getting chances to contribute to the major league roster because of, you know, some of the turnover that you're going to have because of the virus. Speaking of guys making their debuts, there's a player on the Miami Marlins named Eddie Alvarez, who was an Olympic medalist at ice skating. And now he's playing baseball with the Miami Marlins. A pretty cool story. That's on ESPN.com. If you want to check that out. Yeah. Really, really cool story for the Marlins. They, you know, they've, they've played well, but yeah, you should go. Uh, you should go check that out if you haven't. For for the people listening, that's a uh, silver medalist in Sochi, and a thirty year old Miami native. Uh, you know, it, it's a uh, it's a really really wild story. You got to go got to go read about it. I mean, I can't imagine just a more jarring transition to go from Olympic medal ice skater to now I'm playing Major League Baseball. That that, that is quite the transition. Yeah, I I can't imagine there's uh, there are many more that are that are different or, or, or more different than that one for sure. I mean, we've seen like Olympic sprinters try to be like NFL wide receivers. I mean, so it's not unprecedented. It's just kind of a combination that I don't think we were ever going to see. Now we hey, but now we've seen it. What has been the story of Major League Baseball for you? Because my, outside of like the Joe Kelly thing and the reaction to that, I kind of had like some weird thoughts about it. But the Giannis Cespedes story was just as wild, if not wilder. So what has been what has been your story of the 2020 baseball season so far? Yeah, I definitely think that the Cespedes thing has has been has been really really crazy, but. For me, it's the Marlins. When you look at the, a team that won 57 games last year, went 57 and 105, they were 49 games back of the Dodgers, the best team in the National League last year. The way that they've played out of the gate has been uh, has been really, really fun to watch. They've won seven of their first nine games, and it's been an it's been an exciting team. You know, they're 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 playing. They're playing well. They've, you know, had the stop and start from the virus, but for the most part, you know, they've been able to to bounce back from that. But it's been fun watching them play some games. And now, granted, you know, when you look at the schedule that the Marlins have played, it's not exactly uh, murderer's row. You know, when they go out seven of nine, they've played the Mets, uh, wins uh, uh, four wins against the Orioles. But still, you know, all you can do is go out and, and – play who's in front of you and for the most part they've been able to beat them and especially with you know the stop and start you know get with some of those games against the Phillies playing the Orioles you know then having a game postponed then you play Baltimore again then you have another game postponed it's been fun to to watch you know what they've been able to do take that long hiatus then come back and, and you know and and play as well as they have that's been that's been a story for me just to continue to watch because I can't imagine, you know, trying to, especially in, in baseball when there's so much rhythm and, you know, you're such creatures of habit being, you know, having that broken up, you know, same thing when you look at what the Cardinals have had schedule wise, you know, playing, then taking a layoff, playing, you know, again, a couple of times, then getting another layoff of a few days. It's been kind of fun to watch what they've done because I, I can't imagine that that's easy for sure. Yeah. For me, the story of the baseball season so far has been Joe Kelly and the reaction around the Joe Kelly thing. Uh, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, the Dodgers were playing the Houston Astros and Joe Kelly 
threw at or behind multiple guys and then made a face as he walked to the dugout, which got memed into oblivion to the point where they're making t-shirts about it now. Uh, He gets suspended for eight games, and the reaction around Major League Baseball was they were upset at the league for suspending him. It's like he threw at multiple guys, and the response was like, shame on you, baseball. Joe Kelly is a hero. Joe Kelly is... You know, Joe, Joe Kelly is a hero, and I'm glad he threw at these guys. And it just felt weird. Because normally, this is the kind of stuff where all of the baseball people are like, oh, we, we can't have this anymore, these unwritten rules, and you just can't throw baseballs at guys. And meanwhile, Joe Kelly, they're like, he's a hero. How dare you suspend him, Major League Baseball? It it just felt weird. Like, just kind of seeing the reaction to that and how it all ended up playing out. Yeah, that's fair. You know, I think the, the you know, the crazy part for me was, you know, I like the message that baseball sent, you know, in terms of, hey, you're not going to throw it, guys. We're going to come down and say eight games. But, you know, it, it was just, you know, it, it was just so interesting because you had really no punishment at all for any of the Astros players for the cheating and the sign stealing and the things that went on within that Houston Astros organization. So, you know, I think, and rightfully so people were so wound up over the fact that, you know, Manfred quickly, swiftly handed out eight games to Joe Kelly for throwing at throwing behind guys, which believe me, I'm not condoning, but at the same time, you know, I can understand and see where they're coming from when you look at, you know, hey, these guys didn't get punished at all. You know, I have, you know, I throw two pitches and I get eight game suspension. So, you know, I think that's where you have the frustration among people. And believe me, you know, not condoning throwing at guys, but I'm definitely not on board with, you know, what happened with Houston in terms of no punishment being handed down for the players. And I think that's where the frustration is among the other players around the league and the rest of the league in general. Yeah, I understand like the harsh suspension, because if you just let Joe Kelly throw at Houston and do nothing, that is a tacit admission from Major League Baseball saying, yeah, it's open season. You can just throw at these guys and we're not going to do anything to you. So like they, they had to do something in that respect because if you, if you did nothing with the Joe Kelly situation, then as a baseball league, you're saying, yeah, the Astros are fair game. Go ahead, throw at them. We're not going to stop you. Yeah, and- I mean, that makes sense. But, you know, it's just one of those things where it's tough because I see both sides because I don't think Major League Baseball necessarily handled it the best in terms of not punishing any of the players that were involved. And so it's just a tough pill to swallow there when you go, you know, hey, you threw at this, you know, you, you threw at this guy. Here's eight games which in a 60 game season, you know, and you, you know, you, you extrapolate that out to what that would have been over a, you know, a regular full season. And I think that's where some people had some issues with it. Yeah. And we're seeing right now uh, with Joe and especially someone like a Joe Kelly, because he was up in arms about how the Astros cheated, but it's kind of interesting because, what didn't get talked about as much is that they're also looking at the 2018 Boston Red Sox and Alex Cora and whether or not they cheated. And guess who was on the 2008 Boston Red Sox, Cody, and won a World Series ring? Yeah, Mr. Uh, Mr. Joe Kelly. Mr. Joseph Kelly himself. So are we going to question him about, hey, you were on this other team that is being accused of doing the same thing Houston do- has done. Care to comment on that? No, that's fair. I think that's definitely uh, definitely fair to bring up, and I definitely think that that's something that, you're right, has probably gotten lost in translation here uh, when you look at what has transpired you know, between those two franchises and, and, and those players in Kelly and Cora, or uh, not Cora, excuse me, Carlos Correa and the rest of the Astros. Yeah, that, that has been my story of the year so far. The Giannis Cespedes story was just wild. And for those of you who don't know what that is, the New York the New York Mets were playing a game earlier in the week, and they sent out a tweet. The, the New York Mets sent out a tweet saying, 
We have not been able to locate Giannis Espedes. He didn't show up to the ballpark, and our attempts to locate him have gone unanswered. And then, we don't know what happened. It turns out that in the middle of the season, he just decided he was going to opt out and just no-showed a game and just decided he was just done playing this season. Yeah, when they showed up to his room, it was cleared out, and I, you know, through his through his agent some hours later, I think, you know, the team was informed that he was opting out. But, you know, when I got the notifications and when I saw on social media that, you know, they couldn't locate uh, Joanna Cespedes and you saw, you know, some of the reports that were happening and they showed up to his room and he had cleared out. It was just such a such an odd scenario. Yeah, uh, you know, he was definitely taking notes from Vontae Davis a couple of years ago. I was like, no, I'm yeah. not even gonna go at halftime. I'm not. I'm just gonna no show the game. I is this is this wilder than the Vontae Davis retired at halftime story? No, that retiring at halftime is way more wild than uh, than this. I think that's. I just can't imagine going into the locker room at halftime and be like, oh yeah, okay, I'm calling it quits. Take off your stuff, you shower and leave. Like. I can understand, you know, when you're you are in the midst of a pandemic and you have played some games, but maybe you're maybe you're seeing the protocols, maybe you're seeing something, you know, you've got family at home and and you don't want to take the chance or take the risk. You realize that it's it's just too risky. But to retire in the middle of the game, that's that's way more wild, Vontae Davis style back in the day versus uh, versus what Cespedes did. Yeah, the Vontae Davis story was back in September of 2018. Fun fact, that was actually on the day of my brother's wedding. Uh, Oh, that's crazy. So I'll remember that. Uh, Moving on to football, college and pro football. And before we get into the uh, Pac-12 and Big Ten unity stories, Cody, and what what happened with the MAC announcing that they're just canceling fall football, I I guess the question we have to ask is, are we even going to have a season? I, I, you know, if you read the Sports Illustrated article, if you've seen the the Yahoo stories and you've seen some different places, you know, people are very not optimistic about, you know, what, what is going to take place with football. You've seen people pause workouts. You've seen, especially surrounding the Mac, and you've seen different anonymous Power 5 ADs come out and say they'd be surprised if football gets played if I were a betting man, which I'm not, but I would probably bet on the fact that we don't have the season just because I think too many places are in difficult spots trying to figure out how best to carry out testing and safety protocols. I think the NBA has shown the gold standard and the way to do it is a bubble. And Major League Baseball has shown if you don't have a bubble, you're going to have these cases and you're going to have these issues. I think it's much easier to figure out when you're a professional league and you're, you are dealing with professional players. I think it's much more difficult to figure out when you are dealing with college players, you're dealing with schools on much more restrictive budgets than a professional franchise. You're dealing with student athletes. These are not guys just going and playing sports full time. These are guys that have classes and different responsibilities on college campuses. So I mean, I think it's tough to say. I think, you know, in the coming week here, you're, you're going to get, you know, these decisions because classes are, are starting to ramp up around the country. But, you know, especially with players reporting and things, camps and workouts have started most places as well. But I would be surprised just because I don't know if the, the resources and some of the logistics necessarily exist at the collegiate level to go about it the way that you would need to to be able to carry out, play a full season, and play a championship in college football, I I just don't see it happening. According to reports from the the MAC story about how the the MAC, which has teams like Ball State, Toledo, you know, Ball State, Toledo, I think Northern Illinois is still in the MAC, they have – decided that they're not even going to play. They followed in the footsteps of the Ivy League, and the MAC commissioner said, quote, this decision is not a financial decision. It is a health and well-being decision. And 
among at least two Power 5 ADs, there is a, quote, growing sense of inevitability that there will not be a 2020 fall season. And that was, and this is coming on the heels of Pac-12 and Big Ten players forming unity groups where they've published a list of demands to their respective conferences and threatened a boycott if those demands are not met. So I think the players are starting to realize that we have a lot more power and leverage than we thought. And if we can find a way to sort of try and find some sort of universal standard to make sure that it is safe and other and kids can play like on top of just like the player compensation stuff like that, that's another discussion for another day. But with where we are right now, and remember, like, when teams started to come back, I think at one point Clemson had, like, over two dozen positive tests just of the football team. It, it seems like the odds of us having a 2020 season the way that we were hoping to, okay, if we just go conference only, like, that, if you were to ask me about it today, are we going to have a season this fall, I would say, no, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And while, you know, a couple of quotes from two ADs are not, you know, the ha- not how the majority of people would probably vote. I mean, you, you know, your athletic directors and especially your 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 presidents at these schools are the ones that are on these administrative voting boards for how this takes place. And you're having to take into account the student athlete part of this and not the fact that they're just athletes you know, how would this work with students? And, you know, we're trying to bring other students back on campus. There's just so many, so many logistical things. I would agree with you. I'm not optimistic at this point right now. And I definitely think that, you know, the, the demands of the PAC 12 and the big 10 players and, you know, the power five, uh, you know, group, uh, the power five group of teams, you know, trying to, you know, announcing schedules as early as, you know, uh, middle middle to late last week and and trying to go ahead with the season i think you're you're seeing the the makings of a fracture of the power five from the ncaa and you could be looking at you know down the road some sort of unionization of the players because coming together uh as the pac-12 and big 10 players did and i think you mentioned it realizing that you know they have you know much more control than I think they originally thought. And especially if they were to break away from the NCAA, I definitely see that uh, becoming, you know, becoming, becoming a story and, and the players forming groups to, to, to let their voice be heard in those situations. Uh, What are you, what are your thoughts on the, uh, the, the unity groups between the, it started with the PAC 12 and then there was that really weird story about the wide receiver from Washington State and the transcript of the call with Nick Rolovich that came out, and now the Big Ten has followed suit. You know, my position on the whether or not athletes should be paid is I don't care. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't affect me in any tangible way if a wide receiver from Arizona State can make a couple hundred bucks off of his likeness. Like this doesn't affect me in any way. So I don't care. Uh, it's, it's something that should have happened a long time ago when it comes to compensating players, especially for the millions and millions of dollars that football and men's basketball generate. And with the athletes getting zero of it has always felt kind of scummy. Yeah, I agree with that. And I support the name image likeness. I don't necessarily support like a salary type of deal or anything like that. But I definitely think that if you want to do advertising and things, you should be able to to do that. But I mean, I'm with you. You know, it's something to where, look, you know, a lot of these players are responsible and at the at the core and at the forefront of bringing in millions of dollars for these athletic departments. So you know, they want to, to have a percentage of that. I mean, that, that would happen in any other business, pretty much in any other walk of life. If you brought in, you know, $20 million for a company or something, you would have, you know, you, you would have a a percentage or you would be involved in being compensated for your work there. So I have no problem with it. I just think you're really going to get, you know, it takes a, 
a lot of ironing out because you're really going to get murky and you can really get into the weeds with what all of it looks like. And, you know, especially with the tie to the NCAA, if you're, you know, and, and eligibility and that sort of thing, if you're not part of the NCAA, I think that becomes much easier. But, you know, that's been some difficulty there is figuring out, you know, how would you navigate those waters and, and try to keep it a, a fair playing field for everybody. But I'm, I'm right there with you. I, you know, if I, if some car company wanted me to do a commercial, like I could go and get paid for that. So I don't see why a student, you know, a student athlete, somebody wants to hire them to do that. I'm all for it. More power to them. Now I just now I just imagined you in the middle of a commercial trying to like sell somebody a Honda Civic. Yeah, like, no, I couldn't do it. Yeah, I, it's like I I don't think I could do a commercial. I'm not. But I'm I'm not really uh, built for that. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I'm right there with you. I don't know if I could do it either. But you know, so part of the other side of some of this argument is, you know, you are being compensated in terms of getting scholarships and cost of attendance checks and that sort of thing. If you're going to pay, you know, if you're going to pay the student athletes a minimum wage, if you're going to pay, you know, for, if you're going to allow name image and likeness stuff, I'm okay with all that. But then at some point I would think that if you're doing that, then scholarships would go away. And, and if scholarships go away, then, you know, your maybe your, your offensive lineman is getting, you know, a sponsorship deal and, you know, and $15,000 to pay, you know, getting a check for, for the course of a college football season. But if he's then having to pay out, you know, tuition and fees and room and board and stuff for some of these colleges, then all of a sudden that's not exactly a good deal. I think a, a scholarship there that would cover all that and getting a cost of attendance check would be a way better deal than that. So, this is, you know, they're going ahead and allowing and, and beginning to explore what name image likeness will look like. I think it's a good thing. I fully support it. But we are a long way from figuring out what it will look like, because especially if you have the power five break off, especially if you have players unionized, you look at some of the things that have happened, you know, just over the course of the last few months in college football going to lead to potentially some huge, huge changes uh, in, in the sport and at the tops of the NCAA and they may not be part of the NCAA for much longer. Who knows? Yeah. And I think that's what gets lost in all of this, because this is a lot more complicated of a situation than they wave a magic wand and say, poof, you're all paid. Now college sports is now fixed forever. Like it's, it is a lot more complicated and there's a lot of knots and layers that need to be untangled and figure out, okay, well, then if that means this, then what does that mean for scholarships? And what does that mean for this? And what does that mean for that? And probably, like, the one argument that makes me laugh is, like, the people are going against it, where it's like, well, then, but what if some guys on the team make more than others? Yeah, like, that doesn't already happen in pro sports? Like... Yeah, some, like, some, some people, you know, the quarterback is worth more than a defensive back. I mean, there's no arguing that there's no question about that. You can look at win shares. You can look at numbers. If you don't have a quarterback in the NFL, you are not going to be able to succeed. So you, that pay, that player is going to be paid more. That's life. Life is not fair. Yeah. It's like the idea is like, well, what if some guys get paid more? I'm like, well, that's kind of oh. just that. So that's how it works everywhere. Do you think that, uh, I mean, if you're on the Kansas city chiefs, do you think right now that I'm just going to pick a random player on the chiefs roster? Uh, do you think Anthony Hitchens, a linebacker for Kansas City, is rocking around mad, man? I can't believe Patrick Mahomes makes more money than me. I mean, probably not. Like I don't. <laughs> no, no chance. Like I don't think, I don't think anyone else on that Kansas City Chiefs roster is walking around mad, saying I can't believe Patrick Mahomes makes more money than me. I mean, that's just kind of how it works. Some guys are going to get paid more. It doesn't matter if you're working in the NFL or a car dealership or wherever that's just kind of how it is oh yeah no question i mean i you know that that part i i wouldn't even you know i, I don't i wouldn't even listen to that argument that's just i mean that's life you know that's just the way it works you know cody it is august 9th 
normally this is the time of the year where NFL preseason is just starting and we would have be and we would be in the weeds talking about our NFL our NFL season preview. But so far in this NFL season, we had 69 players opt out for the 2020 season, including like at least seven or eight New England Patriots. I mean, if we have, I'm slightly more optimistic that we're going to have an NFL season than a college football season. But just for the sake of argument, let's assume that we get week one of the NFL season. That it ever that the season starts on time, and we get to week one. Is this season going to look like Major League Baseball, where you where we look up one day and we find out, oh, the New Orleans Saints have had a dozen players test positive, so now we have to postpone the New Orleans Saints games, or do you think it's going to be more like the NBA? Granted, the NBA is in a bubble and they can control their environment, but if you were to play out one of the two scenarios, what do you think is more likely we're going to get in the NFL? Oh, Major League Baseball, because, you know, and you look at you look at the way that they play those sports. I mean, football, you're standing there across from a guy directly engaged with him, breathing on him for three hours at a time. I mean, you don't have that in baseball and you still had the test breakout. You do have that in the NBA, but they've been able to do the bubble. And if nobody is tested positive, then, yes, you know, you could potentially have people that are ace, you know, you, you you could have, you know, some people that yeah, maybe I guess you're slipping through the cracks if you have some staff or random people, but they've announced no players have tested positive. So the players aren't passing it back and forth. I would say Major League Baseball uh, is going to be much more of what the NFL is going to look like. Again, I think it will be easier for the NFL because they're professionals. You don't have to worry about some of the other stuff that you would at the college level, but just the way the game is played if you have somebody that has it, your chance of passing it to somebody else in a game of football is vastly higher than in Major League Baseball or, you know, some of these other golf or anything like that. So I would definitely lean towards I think you're going to see it be much more like Major League Baseball than the than the uh, NBA. I, I think that I would lean towards that as well, because just. In the era of social distancing and wearing masks and everything, the NFL is about as far away from social distancing practices that as right. that is physically possible outside of like maybe the NBA. I, I hope that we get a season and I hope that the season finishes and the teams that have had the most continuity, I think that now that we've had virtually no offseason, there's not going to be a preseason, so we're not going to watch like bottom half of the roster guys play for their <laughs> you know play for their spot. So the teams that can have the most cohesive 53 that have the most continuity that have the most continuity are going to be at a massive advantage than teams that are trying to learn chemistry on the fly. So teams like Baltimore, Kansas City, the 49ers, they're going to be at a much better pace than I think someone like a Tampa Bay would be. Oh no, I, I definitely agree with that, but I'm I'm just I'm just interested to see how it's all going to play out because you know, we've had the sports playing now. The NBA is, you know, the NBA is is higher is high risk for sure in terms of just the way gameplay works and and inability to transmit the virus. But, you know, we've seen soccer, we've seen golf be able to do it, you know, successfully. I uh, I really don't see how, you know, you're going to do that in the NFL, but I'm rooting for them because we need some football and we need a, a little bit of sense of normalcy this fall and people need something to rally around, I think, right now, but it's going to be very, very tough. Very, very tough. Yep. We'll close with this story. While Right before COVID-19 happened, the XFL had returned and it looked like, you know, I mean, th this thing might work. And then COVID-19 came along, the XFL declared bankruptcy, and we thought, oh, the XFL's dead. But maybe it's not. Because earlier this week, Dwayne The Rock Johnson was part of a group of investors that purchased the XFL and that purchased the access the assets of the NFL from bankruptcy for around like $15 million, which means, Cody, there is a chance that the XFL could come back from the dead and The Rock would have his own football league. What did you think when you heard that story that the XFL might come back to life? 
I was excited about it because I do think that there is viability for it. And, you know, the pandemic hit and that really halted things. But I do think that it was doing well and there's a viability and a need for it. So I was glad to see that happen because I think, it, you know, it keeps the, the hope alive that something like that can succeed. I ultimately do think that, you know, when we can get some some things back to, to quote unquote normal, you know, as we, we knew before the pandemic that, you know, I I do think it can work. And so I was happy to see that because I think that's a step in the right direction. And, you know, that financial support to to get that out of bankruptcy and, and get some of those assets, uh, I think is a good investment because I can I, I definitely see it working long term. Yeah, Fifteen million dollars is how much that the rock and his group paid for the XFL and the assets. Which is probably like me going to the ATM and getting like twenty or thirty or forty dollars. He's like, wait, is how much fifteen million? <laughs> I got, I'm sure the Rock was like, wait, it's how much? Well, yeah, yeah, I can afford that. And he just, honey, honey, go grab that fifteen million out of the uh, out of the cookie jar there on the counter. Is does this mean that it's going to make a comeback? Because because uh, now that the Rock owns the league, they're going to be. Tell there, you know, there's going to be TV networks who look at that and say, "Well, if we televise XFL games, then that means that our network has a relationship with The Rock, and then we can have The Rock be on other things in our network." Like we saw, like the NBC has Titan Games, you know, HBO has has Ballers, you know, in terms of getting the league for a chance to be revived for 2021 or later. Having someone like Dwayne Johnson like spearheading that is going to be really beneficial because people are going to want to work with a guy like that. Yeah, I agree. And I, like I said, I, I think it's a good investment because if it comes back and you can build it up, you know, I think your $15 million is a drop in the bucket. Uh, if it doesn't, like I said, it's $15 million And to somebody that has the money that The Rock has, it's like me having $40. So you know, that's, I think it's a great investment and I do think there's a market for it. I think it'll come back. And I think the rock is a good person to, to try to spearhead that and bring it back. All right, so I'm going to ask you today, right now, it is 11 Oh nine AM central time on August 9th, 2020. By the time we get to spring 2021, does the XFL come back? No. It would be, I think it would be, it would be fall at the earliest. I would say it comes back in like 2022. Yeah, I, that's, I think that's, uh, that's probably a better, probably a better mark or a better uh, forward projection for sure. Uh, that, that is going to do it for this episode of the From the Booth podcast. The next time we get together will be after the play-in games are done. We're going to look at the NBA brackets and we'll make our picks for who we think is going to walk away with the NBA quarantine championship. Because now that we are in the bubble and you can strip away things like home field advantage and traveling cross country, it's, you know, I I think that we might see a lot more surprises come playoff time now that all of your traditional things like home court advantage and flying cross country for game seven. You don't have to worry about that at all. You don't have to worry about that anymore. They're all right there in Orlando. Yeah. I think that could lead to some very intriguing results. No doubt about it. All right. Is there anything that you uh, wanted to say before we wrap up? No, I don't think so, man. I'm looking forward to the NBA playoffs. It's been fun to watch. It's been fun to watch the games being played. It's been, uh, you know, nice and refreshing to watch the NBA be able to handle the pandemic properly in terms of being able to provide the safest environment for players and staff. So I'm really, really looking forward to gearing up for these playoffs because I think we're going to get a lot of good basketball. No, we are. We have some good games on tap today. Uh, The only game that I can watch because I don't have NBA TV is Spurs Pelicans. It starts at two o'clock. So I'm going to I'm going to check that out. Uh, sorry. So the next time we get together, we're going to look at the NBA playoffs. We're going to make our picks and hopefully our, and hopefully this goes a lot better for me than the time I tried to pick last year's Super Bowl Cause that blew up like, <laughs> yeah, that, that blew up almost immediately. I did get Kansas city, right? 
but like the rest of the bra- the rest of the bracket was just in shambles. Right, if you want to mine check, was, it, mine yeah. wasn't much better. So, if you want to check out the From the Booth podcast, we are on a lot of platforms. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Anchor. We're on. Are we are we on Stitcher? I think we're on Stitcher. On Stitcher, on TuneIn. Yeah, you can find us anywhere, man. Yeah, we are all over the place. If there is a po- if there is a podcast flat platform known to man and maybe a couple known to like birds, we are on it. So for Cody Clark, I'm Evan Eichen saying so long and we'll see you next time.